Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got back Dr. Augustin Fu. Augustin is an industry-recognized thought leader in digital strategy and integrated marketing. He was, early in his career, a chief digital officer for Omnicom's healthcare consultancy group. He's also had 20 years of management consulting experience and hands-on experience creating and optimizing marketing across traditional and digital channels. But he has probably most recently, over the last number of years, made a name for himself as an ad fraud researcher and auditor for many, many, many companies um, and publishers around the world. On today's show, we're going to take on ad fraud, and and we've done this before in episode 73, so I encourage you to go back and check out episode 73 because we will not cover most of those topics. Again, we'll actually take on some of the misconceptions that marketers have about ad fraud you know, this this notion that I've got ad fraud detection, am I not safe? The answer is no. I only pay for performance. Doesn't that mean that I'm immune to ad fraud? No, definitely not. And then we're at the industry trade groups. Why why we're not hearing as much as we should be from them on this topic. So today on the show, my conversation with Augustin Fu. Augustin, welcome back to Marketing Today. Thanks, Alan. Glad to be back. 
Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting excited, I guess, maybe depressed, uh, because we're going to get an update from you on all things ad fraud. Yeah. You were on the show before, episode 73, and we covered a lot of topics like who's profiting from ad fraud, who's losing. We covered things like ads.txt as well as walled garden providers like Facebook and Google. And um, so I thought it'd be a great idea this time around to cover kind of some misconceptions because I think as you and I both talk to marketers out in the marketplace, everyone seems to think that they've got a handle on this. Yeah. And uh, and so let's we'll take we'll tackle some of those some of those misconceptions, if you will. And um, but before we do that, I thought maybe I could get you just to define ad fraud, just so we level set for everybody that's listening. Yeah, and and I think that's very necessary because right now a lot of the industry thinks of ad fraud as IVT, so the acronym for invalid traffic. And that's why the industry reports like from the ANA and White Ops and others keep citing IVT and the tag reports keep citing IVT. But invalid traffic is, to me, almost an outdated term now, right? When we move into the worlds of mobile and app and CTV, it's not invalid traffic that goes to a website like it was before, right? So that was perfectly fine in the early going, right? So when you have fake traffic going to the site, you would detect those and those are caused by bots and things like that. But when you think about a a mobile app, like a flashlight app that is committing fraud by uh, loading ads in the background or staying on 24 seven when the human's not using it, that's not technically traffic hitting a website, right? That's why I'm saying IVT is an outdated term. And furthermore, the detection providers, right, the ones that are supposed to detect IVT, they're now reporting IVT in the 0.5% range, 1% range, or whatever. But what that's missing is all the other forms of fraud, right, that are still fraud, right? It's not what the advertiser thought they were paying for, right? All these um, impressions being generated by fraudulent means or, you know, the quantities being inflated by fraudulent means, that's still fraud. And marketers are not going to get business outcomes from that. So in those cases, they're basically missing more than they are catching. And -hmm. I think that leads into why there are so many misconceptions. Because when the Industry Trade Association, ANA, puts out a report that says fraud is low and going lower, don't worry about it, then everyone's kind of uh, got a false sense of security. And we kind of touched upon this last time. But they keep having this false sense of security so they can keep buying. And that makes everyone happy because they want what's going on right now to continue. And that's not necessarily the right thing. Right, right. And so if you were to think about all the various types, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's like maybe endless types of fraud that are going on. You've got, yeah. you've got spoofing of publishers, I guess, at one level. Mm-hmm. To, uh, you know, you've got fake traffic. Yeah, got, maybe I can kind of categorize yeah. it for you. You know, there, yeah. there's things that uh, publishers do that are kind of unscrupulous or fraudulent, right? So, uh, and basically, let me let me break it into good publishers versus sites that carry ads, right? So good publishers, like the mainstream ones that you've heard of, like Hearst, Condé, Meredith, whatever, they're not deliberately uh, out there to commit fraud. And the majority of their business is not based on fraud. 
because they actually have real content that their writers wrote and their editors edited, right? So they have real content that real humans want to read, and therefore they have real human audiences, right? Same for ESPN, Disney, and so on and so forth. It's those other sites, right, collectively the long tail that may have some content, right? So there are legit long tail sites. People are very passionate about making sugar cookies or something, right? So they wrote a blog post on that. And there's going to be a finite number of humans that really are interested in making sugar cookies. But there's just not enough of those humans at any given time to generate massive quantities of traffic. Therefore, some of those smaller sites, you know, they start going out to buy traffic because they want to make more ad revenue, right? Mm -hmm. So once they start buying the traffic, it's like crack cocaine. They can't stop and they need more and more and more, right? And so, you know, those are legit sites that have content, but there are even larger, not legit sites, right? Sites that are created solely for the purpose of fraud, right? So you Mm -hmm. see all these you know, celebrity sites where every single image is plagiarized, right? And all the content is just auto-assembled by algorithms, right? So they might as well use the bots to do that. And the way they get away with that is they tweak a few words here and there. So then when you're using crawlers to look for plagiarized content, you won't see like an entire paragraph that's plagiarized, right? They, They remixed it slightly so you can't see that. So then the entire site, all the pages, all the content is plagiarized because they're just using that site to generate ad impressions. That's their sole purpose. So in those cases, uh, we're still talking about websites, right? So IVT does um, apply here. And the IVT means all the traffic that they just purchased because they have no natural traffic from humans who are going there for the content. Right. There might be a trickle of that. But to infl- inflate their own revenue or increase their own ad revenue, they're just buying lots and lots of traffic. And like we said last time, you know, as long as the cost of their traffic in CPM terms is lower than the ad revenue that they're making on CPM terms. Right. So right. Uh, they're just arbitraging that and making a pure profit off of that. Uh, so they don't actually have to hire writers. They don't actually have to, you know, so that's kind of the in-between. And there's the outright fake sites that don't even bother to put any content on there, right? All you need is a domain uh, so that you can get a seller ID and you stick some ad tech code on your site and it's all blank, right? So we see this in the form of what I call either naked ad calls or, you know, like you see duplicate ad calls from the same page, right? you know, because if you're a cheater, why wouldn't you put a hundred ads on the page right. or why wouldn't you put a hundred iframes on the page? Each iframe has a page that has a hundred ads on it. Wow. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of the multiplicative effect. And on top of that, the, the bot detection companies, if they're just looking for IVT, that's what they'll find, right? They're not looking for any other form of fraud. So when they tell you something, you know, there's a rate of IVT, like 1%, the question, your immediate question should be, what else are you not measuring, right? It's not their fault. It's just that they're just not looking for it and their their algorithms are not tuned for anything else. Right. And there's other simple things, you know, I've said this in the past. If you just look at the discrepancy between your ad server logs and your DSP logs, right? So the DSP says you won 100,000 bids, but your ad server tells you you only served 10,000 ads, right? That's a 90% discrepancy. That's something that's across two different data sets, and these bot detection algorithms are not analyzing two different data sets and looking for discrepancies. Therefore, they're not seeing any of that, right? So again, it's not, 
I'm not blaming them. It's just they're doing their job. They're only looking for IVT. Therefore, you should know that that's all they're going to find for you. Right. right. So I think we talked about people saying, oh, yeah, we have bot detection in place. Great. It's better than not having bot detection in place. But just know that they can only protect you from the stuff that they can detect. Right. And they're not looking for anything else. Therefore, you should assume that there's other kinds of fraud affecting your campaigns. Interesting. Interesting. Well, um, let's get, let's, uh, well, I guess before we start into the questions, one more question for you. Mm-hmm. You, 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 yeah. talked, you mentioned the ANA. I, th- I feel like every industry organization out there known to man has their own estimates and they're all over the place, uh, going up, going down. Yeah. Do you have your own estimate that you feel good about? in terms of what how much fraud is going on right now and and whether it's growing or shrinking so my standard answer is no i don't usually give an industry-wide estimate because if i did i'd be no better than all those others and the reason i don't do that is because i only get to see a slice of the universe Mm -hmm. and any statement about the rate of fraud industry-wide is going to be an extrapolation And as a scientist or as a mathematician, you know that any kind of extrapolation requires assumptions. And, you know, those are just makes it it more and more incorrect. So I don't necessarily even say their numbers are right or not. I mean, I will tell you that the ANA White Ops report was correct. Technically, everything was correct. And White Ops added in all the caveats. The problem, you know, in terms of what was measured and what was not measured. The problem was that most of the uh, press that came after that didn't take those caveats into account, right? So White Ops clearly said in the report that we didn't measure this, 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 like uh, CTV, video, OTT, all that kind of stuff, because it simply wasn't measurable. So what we are measuring, what they are measuring is just a slice of the universe. And so if you know to kind of narrow your mind to say, okay, well, this only applies to display ads and only the ones that we could measure, then that's fine. But if you look at the headlines that came out after the ANA press release, it said fraud was going down. Don't worry about it. We're winning. Right. That's what gets carried through in the press. And so that is what's misleading, not necessarily that the data is wrong. Right. The data was right. It had the caveats. But the PR that came after it was what was misleading to marketers. And at a time when they should be more vigilant or the most vigilant ever, rather than the least vigilant ever, because the problem is larger than it ever has been before, simply because there are so many more dollars in digital now than there were 10 years ago. Mm. So even if you assumed a constant rate of fraud, there's way more dollars at stake now than there were 10 years ago or even five years ago. So that's kind of how I think about it. I don't say a rate. Mm. Now, I do say that in certain client campaigns, the rate of fraud could be 99%, could be 100%. Because in those cases, depending on where they're buying from and depending on whether they do any homework themselves, mm-hmm. uh, they could be subject to 100% fraud. So if I set a range, I would tell you it's between 1% and 100%, <laughs> right? And it depends. Right. And the reason zero is not included in that is because there's always some fraud and there's probably fraud that I can't see or that I've never even looked for, right? right? And so that actually brings up a, an important point here. Uh, And I've I've called it asymmetric warfare, right? The good guys are always at a disadvantage to the bad guys for a very simple reason. You know, with the MRC standards, uh, I'll just use viewability as a simple 
uh, way to explain it. Uh, it's uh, 50% of the pixels of an ad uh, in view for one second, right? So that is like a, a goal post, right? A sign post. And all the bad guys have to do is match that exactly, right? They have to hit that standard exactly, do just a tiny bit better, and then they'll get marked as viewable. Or in, the, in terms of the bots, it'll get marked as valid versus not valid, right? So they know exactly what they have to optimize to to get marked as valid. So they have goalposts. Whereas the good guys don't even know what they don't know. They don't even know what to look for because all the bad guys are using techniques and technologies that the good guys have not seen before. So literally they and me, right, we're kind of fumbling around in the dark looking for, okay, what's the next kind of fraud that I haven't thought about that the bad guys have been committing for 10 years? And then we discover it, right? So I think the recent... Uh, kind of flurry of news that you've seen, right, since the latter part of 2018. And literally every month, you've seen a big or bigger case of mobile fraud being outed. So remember Cheetah Mobile, remember Kutek, all of those like emoji keyboards and CC Cleaner and all that kind of stuff. Whether they did it or not, you know, they said, oh, well, somebody injected malware into our app and therefore it was loading ad impressions. Right. Okay, you know, I'm not blaming them or whatever, but the fact is you have apps that have been downloaded hundreds of millions of times that are committing large-scale ad fraud that were completely invisible to IVT detection because they were not looking for it and they did not know to look for it, right? So all of that means good guys are always playing catch-up, and sometimes it might take them years to catch up. Hmm because they simply didn't know of a technique that the bad guys were already using for years and years, yeah. right? So that's why it's all, you know, we're always at a disadvantage, especially when it comes to tech, right? right? So it's kind of even worse than what we had previously said, like it's an arms race. Uh, it's an arms race if you have two parties that are somewhat on the same playing field, <laughs> right? The, the, the bad guys are so far ahead, it, it's not even a fair arms race. Right. Right. With the good guys. Right. No, that's true. And, you know, this is a, a quick aside, but I feel like fraud's even coming to podcasting, frankly, in the last, yeah. you know, I, I've just noticed it in the last probably six to nine months, um, the number of outreaches on LinkedIn of all, of all places. Oh, yeah. You know, that, yeah. I mean, it's the medium that uh, marketers want to buy. Right. So, you know, literally, th- this is nothing new because in the print world, right, that's why we had to have something called the uh, audit bureau of circulation, right? Because publishers were caught cheating, some publishers were caught cheating, inflating their print circulation numbers mm-hmm. and uh, TV ratings, all that kind of stuff. And then even in out of home, right? So now as a digital out of home moves into programmatic or is bought and sold programmatically, did you actually check how many impressions there actually were, right? right? So now the form of cheating would D-O-O-H would be just inflating the circulation numbers or the right. you know viewer numbers right. so they can sell it for more money. Right. So at some point, that's got to get audited so that buyers will know, okay, yeah, that's actually the right approximate number of people who saw the billboard, right. that kind of stuff. So there's fraud everywhere. You just have to assume it's there and look for it. Right. Don't assume that it's not there and think everything's fine. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. No, that's true. Well, so let's take on some of these counterintuitive things. As yep. a, you know, you've heard a marketer, I'm sure, say this. I've heard it myself. I've got fraud detection in place. Am I not safe? Yeah, that's um, you know pretty simple uh, way of thinking about it. They, you know, there are most uh, most of the marketers actually think, okay, they check that box, it's right. fine, and the fraud detection vendor keeps telling them everything's fine, and the agency keeps sending them those reports that say everything's fine. So a lot of marketers, you know, they just basically forward that fraud detection report to their bosses and say, look, they said everything's fine. So you know, unless someone, maybe like the CFO. You know, or CEO maybe uh, who actually will say, "Well, we just spent all this money on digital marketing, and we really didn't see any increase, you know, in our business outcomes." You know, unless they ask that question, you know, the marketer is more than happy to just keep doing what they're doing because it's familiar, it's comfortable, and they've done it for a while, right? So that's comfortable for them to continue. It is uncomfortable for them to actually look deeper. So you know, there's only a handful of marketers who have the courage. To actually look further and ask harder questions and say, okay, well, you know, the fraud detection reports all sound rosy and fine and all that kind of stuff. But let me actually do a little bit more hard work to say, you know, can I correlate any of this uh, digital ad spending to business outcomes? And I think one of the best experiments marketers can actually run, and again, this is going to be scary, mm -hmm. but I've said this to many marketers that I work with do a kind of a blackout test. Right. So turn off your, your digital marketing spend for a day, right. maybe for a week. And if you don't see any business outcome change, then leave it off for one more week and so on and so forth. Hmm. Right. In that case, you know, we kind of eliminate the debate between, oh, was it fraud or was it not? Right. Because in this case, when you went dark on your digital spending and you saw no change in your business outcomes, that meant whatever digital spending you were doing, whether it was fraudulent or not, just simply didn't drive business outcomes. Therefore, it's not worth investing in anymore, right? So that's going to be the clearest cut experiment that any marketer could do. Right. But the reason it hasn't been done more is because a lot of these marketers, you know, their year-end bonuses and their kind of badge of honor is how much digital spend they spent. So, you know, they don't want anything that's going to tell their bosses that, oh, well, you couldn't spend all of it. So you're probably going to, you won't need as much next year, right? Because their badge of honor that they proudly put on their LinkedIn is I control $60 million of spend, right? right? So their job is to spend it all, not to actually look for fraud. Yeah. So you can kind of see we're just touching on some of the built-in 
conflicts of interest or just incentives that are not aligned towards even looking deeper right. into whether there's fraud or not. Well, and it, it does seem to be just that checkbox, right? And and plausible, yeah. in some ways, plausible deniability. <laughs> deniability. Right? Yeah. Well, they said, right. right? They said it would think everything was you, fine. You, um, now, I'll tell you a story. I was going to say. Yeah, I mean, for, from a from a CMO of a, I won't name the company, but they've said some stuff in the past, and therefore now they're trying to maintain it and continue to prove that they were right years and years ago, even though there's evidence to show that that was not right. So I'm I'm seeing this in day to day work where the marketer is actually taking steps to protect something that's clearly wrong now and they see it, but they'd rather protect their own reputation. So we see all this kind of just uh, misaligned incentives yeah. that are perpetuating the fraud, not helping it. Well, so that leads us to the next one, right? You talked about, you know, are you actually driving business results? So what about the marketer that says, okay, but I only pay for performance, so I must be immune to ad fraud, right? Yeah. I get that all the time. And uh, even before I go there, uh, another very common one is, oh, well, fraud is priced in. Yeah. Remember the one where they said, oh, now we're paying $3 CPMs versus a few years ago, we're paying $30 CPMs. And so therefore, we're fine with it because it's much cheaper now. But that's a complete misconception because right now they're paying $3 versus 30 but they're buying 10 times more inventory. Right. So they're essentially spending $30 worth, you know, on digital media. But now by buying $3 inventory versus $30 from a real publisher, they've basically increased their risk of fraud because a lot of that low cost stuff is complete crap. Right. So the, the point is they kind of have these misconceptions that they fall back on. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's cheap. It's priced in. So we don't care. Right. Okay. So that's one. And then, like you said, the performance marketers will say, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. We're, we're paying only when we get the sale or only when we get the install, right, in the case of a mobile install campaign. But, again, you might remember over the years uh, many mobile attribution platforms, right, starting with Tune in 2017, they, they looked across 800 mobile ad exchanges, Right. First of all, why the heck are there 800? Right. Okay. But uh, they looked across that and the top eight were 100% fraudulent. Right, That means every install that they claimed to have generated were all fake. And then the next uh, next 30 something, I think 35 or so were greater than 50% fraud. Right. So in those cases, marketers should know that even though they're paying for the install, or actually because they are paying for the install, right? The bad guys are going to do the exact thing that they need to do to get that payment, right? So they will now use fake mobile devices using mobile emulation software, right, in a data center to make it look like they downloaded and installed your app so that they can get paid the $5 bounty, the $10 bounty, or whatever it is. And remember the Uber lawsuit, right? The second lawsuit that they filed recently, uh, all of those details showed that, you know, those mobile networks are basically faking the install or claiming credit for what would have been an organic install, right? What that means is a human would say, oh, I want to download the Uber app because they just wanted to download the Uber app, 
not because they saw an ad or they clicked on the ad, right? So that's organic. They downloaded it because they wanted to. But by tricking the attribution provider, by uh, click flooding and doing all those other fraudulent things, they're now doing what we call organic stealing, right? So they're basically claiming credit for the organic install and making it look like it was a paid install caused by them so that they could actually get the cost per install. So the, the key lesson here is for marketers to know that if you're paying on an install basis, that specific thing will be what the bad guys fake, right? If you're paying on a click, they'll fake the click. If you're paying on an install, they'll fake the install. And furthermore, if you're paying on the sale, like you're doing an affiliate rev share, right? Affiliate fraud has been around longer than all of this programmatic stuff. Uh, so by the same token, they're faking the sale. So in some of these um, mobile examples, what we're seeing them do is because the attribution URL contains all these different bits of information that tell you who drove the sale, what item was purchased, who purchased it, what amount was bought, and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. All they have to do is construct a URL that has all those parameters in it to make it look like the sale occurred, even though the sale didn't actually occur. Uh -huh. And so if you're looking at those records from your attribution provider, you might be tricked into paying out the cost per acquisition, right? The CPA, even though the sale never actually happened. And you probably as a merchant won't even know that until 30, 60, 90 days later when you look at your other data from your other books to see if the sale actually occurred, hmm. right? Very few uh, companies have the real-time processes in place to make sure that's the case. So I think these are just loop examples of loopholes that the bad guys keep exploiting. And so hopefully the moral of the story uh, is for them to actually uh, don't assume that sales are immune. So that's how uh, bad guys can fake the install. They can also fake the transaction. They're not actually spending any money. Uh, so it doesn't cost them anything. They're just tricking the attribution to make it look like a sale occurred. So the moral of the story is for the marketer to just assume that the install can be faked, the sales can be faked, and that even as a performance marketer, they are not immune to fraud. They need to visual, vigilantly or you know, continuously uh, look for whether fraud is impacting their campaigns. And it could be something as simple as common sense, like how the heck did we get a thousand sales in a minute, right? That's not possible. You know, right, things like that. Right, right. Or right. all the humans well, bought the same shoe or something, you know, so <laughs> they, they should just look look at the data and they'll, they'll start to see something strange. Yeah. Well, it it just blows me away, frankly, that the problem is so bad and that, like, we've already talked about the industry trade orgs and, and the fact that they, they keep, they, while the reporting that they might be doing, like white ops you mentioned, may be accurate, it's only a fraction of the total universe. And we're still getting, you know, headlines that say everything's fine. Just keep going on yeah. with what you're doing. It, it It's driving me crazy. Like you would think there would be some organization out there that would be like the truth seeker. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's more organizations that are there to protect the status quo. Right. So they're kind of cheerleaders right. uh, for the industry because uh, the industry players are the members that pay their dues. So obviously they're going to try to protect the status quo and not out their own members. Right. Otherwise, they they lose membership fees as well. 
So you can't rely on those uh, trade associations to do anything for you. And furthermore, if you think about the whole, you know, oh, yeah, we'll regulate ourselves, right? When has that happened? And when has that actually worked, right? right? In what industry has that ever worked? And even, uh, you know, think about the financial crisis, even the ratings agencies like Moody's and whatever were rating essentially junk bonds as AAA so that people could buy, keep buying, right? So they, even they were in on it, right? And, you know, the regulatory bodies and whatever are not necessarily going to be there to help you solve fraud, right? You're really, if you care about your own dollars as a marketer, um, you got to do that work yourself, now, it's kind of daunting when you haven't done it before. You think like, oh, it's it's something so large and so daunting. I don't even want to start on it. But, you know, the paradox is I've told a lot of marketers, just look at your own Google Analytics. When you see something strange, then dig in, right? Don't just assume, right. okay, well, it's got to be okay, right? Because industry trades tell me it's okay. Use common sense. Look at your own data. And, you know, sometimes don't just trust the Excel spreadsheets that the media agency is sending back to you because when things are rolled up, you can't see the details, right? When they tell you in a monthly report, this is how much you spent, this is how many billions of impressions you bought, and this is what your click-through rate is, you won't see that, oh, all your impressions were shown between midnight and 1 a.m. So you actually had no impressions left for the rest of the waking hours that humans are actually awake, right? Right. Right. You know, so so little things like that, if you get rolled up reports or summary reports and all that kind of stuff, just dig deeper, ask more questions. And it's more of a process, right? So you've heard me say it's not so much the technology, it's more a process. And I typically yeah. call it an audit process, right? Audit yourself. Look at your own data. And if it doesn't make any sense, ask about it. And I think that's yeah. how marketers will really be able to Self, you know, solve a lot of the fraud for themselves, not and not just take the word of other folks. Right, right. Well, you know, we've you've also heard in the in the trade, if you will, uh, about certifications and accreditations, yep. and you know, and trying to stamp yourself to approval. Yeah. It, it, I'm assuming that those don't work either. Well, let's let me put it this way: Who are the ones who always wave their certification in front of you? Right. And say, oh, yeah, we're certified. We're clean. Right. Who needs to do that the most? Right. It's the bad guys because they'll say, oh, yeah, we're certified. Therefore, keep buying from us. Right. If it's a big publisher, they don't actually need those certifications because they were clean to begin with. Right. So the problem I have with those right certifications in general are good. But the way it's been carried out so far uh, has been basically no good because, first of all, it's self-attested. Right. So it's kind of like a bad guy saying, oh, yeah, I'm clean. I'm honest. I'm good. And I promise to do the right thing. Okay, how many bad guys do you know actually then go ahead and do the right thing? (laughs) Okay, so, you know, just use some common sense that that kind of self-certified, self-attested, self-declared doesn't work. And what that's doing instead, this is the counterintuitive part, is that it's enabling shady companies to operate in broad daylight and for buyers to think those shady companies are fine because they were somehow certified and they keep waving the certification seal uh, and badge around all the time, right? So in those cases, um, certification doesn't work. And furthermore, you need 
audits after, right? So once you certify them, if you don't actually audit them periodically or perhaps randomly, they're going to go back to their old ways and start cheating again, right? That's why this is proven in industry after industry. So say, for example, the USDA, right? Beef slaughterhouses. They actually have to have inspectors go in quarterly or monthly to see if they actually still adhere to the standards, right? Or still doing what they said they would do. You can't do you know, this in, in this industry and not check on them after the fact, right? And, and so you have to do that. Food inspectors do that all the time. It's proven in every other industry. So not only do you need audits, uh, you need ways of verifying <clears throat> that those vendors who are certified are actually continue to do what they said they would do. Now, right. there's some other technical issues in here because, you know, some of these trade bodies, standard setting bodies, certification offering bodies don't have their own tech and they don't have a truth set. So first of all, you know, if they haven't looked at the data long enough, they don't really understand what they're seeing. Well, first of all, they don't even have the tech to collect the data anyway. So, right, they, they can't actually do it. And even if they could collect the data, they, they don't have a truth set to say, okay, well, this is what human activity should look like, or this is what bot activity does look like. And therefore, they can't actually check if any of the measurements are correct or not, right? So mm-hmm. with that, it's like, okay, it still goes back to uh, the marketer, right? It's up to the marketer to still see if, you know, despite all the certification, despite all the fraud verification vendors saying everything's fine, you're still seeing something strange in the data. And you see me tweet out, you know, it's uh, simple things like, oh, well, here's a site that has 100% Android 9 traffic. Does that right. seem normal to you? Right. Humans use other kinds of devices like laptops and PCs and iPhones. A site shouldn't, you know, a real site shouldn't have 100 percent Android 9 traffic. So when you actually see something like that in your own analytics without any specialized tools, you should ask questions or better yet, you should say, okay, well, I'm just going to decide not to buy from them or not. Right. It doesn't matter whether my tech or your tech or any other verification tech marks it as valid or not. Common sense will tell you something is wrong there. Right. So unless you have a really, really specific reason to keep buying from them, why would you keep spending money on a site like that? Right. So I think right, that's what right. I mean by the paradox is that it is easier than you think. Right. If you actually just started uh, building up the practice of looking at your own analytics, you'll you'll know how to do it. Right. right. Well, so, you know, talk to talk to us a little bit about like what you're seeing that the well-funded VC, you know, multi-million, yeah. multi-million dollar back detection companies are not because it 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 comes like the more I hear you talk and describe this, it seems like they're just not looking at the data like at, at all. Yeah, well, it gets back to the whole asymmetric warfare thing, right? So, you know, the the people who are building the algorithms, right, and that's like one or two key engineers within these companies, right? Not the rest of the organization, right? The rest is sales, account, and you know whatever, whatever. They're non-technical. They don't actually understand how the tech works. So all they can say is, "Oh yeah, we're MRC accredited. Trust us. Our numbers right." So those are not the people who are going to be able to uh, improve the algorithm. So there are a couple of people, maybe data scientists, maybe engineers, uh, who are actually looking at the data and trying to improve the algorithm. But those folks may not even know what to look for, right? So we're kind of trying to look at the data to look for anything strange, but then we'll have to try to explain whether it's fraud or not, right? I'll I'll use a simple kind of a geolocation example uh, to illustrate. 
So when I see a chart where all the dots are concentrated in Southern California, okay, on the one hand, you might say, oh, well, that looks a little strange. Why is it all in Southern California? But then you ask the question of the, the actual campaign manager or the brand to say, you know, why is this campaign look so strange? We thought it would be, you know, spread out across the country. They say, oh, we're, we're just targeting a Toyota dealership or something in Southern California. So then, oh, okay, well, what looks strange in the data is actually valid because that was the business reason to do that. Whereas in another case, when we see very, very sparse data points, right, spread out across the country, I mean, the ones that correspond to uh, Ashburn, Virginia, Bozeman, Montana, (laughs) right, all the Amazon uh, data center locations, that looks like that because it's all coming from data centers, right? So just looking at the data itself without also asking business questions, you can't even tell what data is legit and what data is not. So unless those engineers who are trying to upgrade the algorithms are doing that kind of stuff, right, interacting with clients all the time and whatever, what they look at in the data may or may not be fraudulent. And then, you know, they're trying to figure out what what to what else to build into the algorithm. So all of that, I mean, I'm sure they're doing that. And fraud detection companies are good. It's just that they're not fast enough, right? And I mentioned before, if their entire algorithm is tuned for looking for bots and IVT, they're not yet able to catch the in-app fraud and all and CTV fraud where um, JavaScript is not allowed, all that kind of stuff, right? So that's why they're behind. And the other very simple practical reason is that they're kind of all big companies, so they have processes in place, right? So even if the CTO wanted to make an algo change to their bot detection, they have to first write it, they have to then put it into staging for testing, and then so on and so forth. Like, how long is the testing going to be? And then what approvals do they have to get before they can roll that into production? So kind of best case scenario, it could take six months, could take 12 months before an algo change can roll into their production systems. Right. So, again, just practically speaking, because they operate in a corporate environment, they're going to be far slower at being able to deploy changes to the algos. Whereas for a bad guy, if they say, well, this bot or this bot net is not making money for me anymore, they're going to go tweak it right away. Because, like, if you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a day and all of a sudden it goes to zero, uh, I I bet you you're going to be on that (laughs) right away so that you can correct it. So you're you're money pipeline or your money fire hose comes back online. You see what I'm saying? So you're on that. You make the algo change in your botnet within minutes and then your your money fire hose starts starts up again. Right. So that's the difference between, you know, the the good guys are just kind of handicapped in that way. Right. We just can't act as fast. And we we also don't have goalposts or signposts to know, okay, we have to hit exactly that. Right. We're kind of just fumbling around in the dark trying to figure out what's fraud. Right. But unless you do that all day long, every day, uh, you're going to be behind. I'll just put it that way. So it's not that I'm doing anything more, you know, whiz bang or anything. I'm just looking at the data every single day. Right. And when I see strange things, I dig in and that's how you can find the fraud. And that's how we're seeing a ton of other things that look completely not real. Right. Humans just don't act that way. So then it becomes, you know, uh, do you want to buy from that vendor or that site or that app anymore? Right. These days, I, I don't even say what's fraudulent or not. I just present the data uh, to the client. 
right? I'm not a black box. I show them all the data, right? I don't have to say, oh, trust us, right? It's like, here's the data. Do you think this site is real? Do you think their traffic is real? You know, and so common sense from the marketers will say, okay, yeah, we agree with you. And we actually understand why you're saying it's fraudulent, right? It's not because you said it's fraudulent or because you're MRC certified. Right. So when they understand it, then they can take the action. And it's as simple as turning it off. So then you're not yeah. affected by uh, the fraud anymore. And I think right. that's important because, you know, a lot of companies are trying to get refunds after the fact. It's like once the money's gone, you know, it's in the in the bad guy's pocket. You're never, ever getting it back. Right. So right. it's always better to not have spent it on these fraudulent sites. So if you have the ability to just go in and turn off a domain or uh, an app while the campaign is still running, that's always better than trying to get your money back after. Hmm. Well, um, what what should marketers be doing? I mean, you've given us some tips throughout, like obviously look at your data, yeah. interrogate the data, apply common sense. Yeah, um, I just think they need there, to do but, more of that. Right. So the problem yeah. is that, you know, a lot of bigger mark. So the bigger the marketer, the more likely they would have just handed off large media, digital media budgets to right. a media agency. So, yes, I can tell you some media agency people. Now, I don't give entire agencies a pass. I think some individual people who work at those agencies are conscientious and they might actually be looking at the data for you. Right. And so th those are good. And but the marketers, I think more marketers should do more of this themselves because it's their own analytics and right. um, they should be asking for detailed analytics. And if they're not as familiar with it, you know, it's time to get familiar with it. So just like marketers had to learn Google Analytics in the past, they need to be able to look at fraud analytics themselves. And it starts mm -hmm. with spreadsheets. It's like when you get most of your volume between, uh, you know, 12 midnight and 1 a.m., you know, that's not good, right? That means you have no impressions left during the day. So ask for hourly reports if you're not getting hourly reports right now. I, I can tell you most are not. So they should just do that. And then, you mm -hmm. know, in your own analytics, if, you know, your clicks are coming, you know, at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., you think most of those are humans, you know, who are awake at that time and they're so interested <laughs> in your ad that they would click on it in mass quantities, you know, at 3 a.m. So, you know, things like that. You don't need any specialized tech. Uh, you just need to look at your own analytics and see, you know, uh, if things make any sense to you whatsoever. So I think it's as simple as just do more of that. Look at your own analytics, use common sense, and make sure you take the fraud verification vendor's data at, uh, you know, uh, with a grain of salt because they're only looking for bots and they can only protect you from the things that they can detect. Right. So right. you need right. to think that you need to assume that there's other things that they may not be able to catch and that you might still see in your own data. And therefore, marketers should feel empowered because they can actually do some of this themselves. Right. It's not like you need super advanced VC funded fraud verification tech to just do this in a black box manner. Right? So one other thing I'm, I've been talking about recently is black box versus not. Right. In, in the mm -hmm. case of black box, like you don't know how they detected it, what they detected, you know, whether it's detected correctly or not. So if they can't present you with the evidence that you can review yourself and understand and make common sense to you, that's a, a disadvantage. Right. And you're paying a lot of money for black box verification tech and brand safety tech, all that kind of stuff. 
and we talked before that certification doesn't necessarily help make that better because they can't tell if it's measured correctly or not. Therefore, yes, it's certified. And yes, you paid for it, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're detecting it any better than you can as a marketer when you look at your own data. So I think marketers should feel very encouraged, right? It's not this mysterious thing that they can't do. I would encourage more marketers to actually take matters into their own hands. I love it. I love it. I love the suggestions too for the people that you're getting reports from. Yeah. Uh, so I, I thought we could end on a positive note. Yes. <laughs> maybe maybe a mystical fictional note, but we'll <laughs> see. Uh, what does a world look like without ad fraud? You know. On the very practical side, uh, it would be very, very much smaller quantities, right? Mm. So when we think about, you know, I, I published this chart relatively recently. You know, I'll, I'll kind of take a long-term view and just describe. If you take some of the Pew Internet numbers about Internet usage, mobile usage, and social media usage, uh, they've tracked this for 20 years, right? And so when you look at the years since 2010 and, and even more since uh, 2013, internet usage by humans, uh, so mobile usage, social media usage have all plateaued, right? It's pretty much horizontal, right? We've maxed out in terms of the number of humans who actually go online, use mobile, use social, all that kind of stuff. So all these lines have plateaued. But yet digital ad spending which is a proxy for the number of ads uh, being per bought and sold in digital, have continued to shoot upward, kind of like the hockey stick effect, right? right? So the divergence of digital ad spending from humans using the internet is getting larger and larger every year. And that divergence accelerated <clears throat> after 2013 with the introduction mm -hmm. of programmatic or when programmatic uh, went mainstream. Right. So with programmatic, we've now seen the automation of buying and selling of ads, but there's been a concomitant automation of the fraud because now the bad guys can just automate everything, scale everything. So now they're committing fraud at scale. Okay. Right. So over time, the, the kind of amount of digital spending is not supported by the increase in humans going online, using mobile more, using social more, right? For a period of time, they kind of uh, brushed that off and said, oh, it's got to be concurrent usage. Like they're watching TV and they're also spending eight hours a day on online or something, right? It, they're doing both at the same time. So that was kind of the convenient way they try to explain that away. But now, you know, we can see that the, the volumes are just outstripped uh, by humans actually doing more stuff online. Right? So the world, if we were able to correct a lot of this ad fraud, we'll get back to a kind of a lot more rational world. Right. The numbers of impressions are going to be way smaller. The number of clicks you're going to get is going to be way, way smaller. But then they're going to be real. Right. It's going to be real humans who saw the ad and then clicked on it. And you're not going to see 30% click-through rates, right? That's just not real. I've been doing digital marketing for 20, 20 plus years and click-through rates on banner ads should be 0.1%, right? I'm using an order of magnitude, right? Could be higher, could be lower, right. but it's just roughly in the 10th of a percent range. So right. that's what you should be expecting, but then those are real and that's probably a real human who actually liked your ad and clicked through and actually wanted to buy something from you, right? So... It's going to be really hard. It's all, it literally will be like 
drug withdrawal, right? Cocaine or crack cocaine right. withdrawal because marketers and their agencies are so addicted to buying large quantities at very low prices that when we correct the fraud, it's going to be small quantities at relatively very high prices. <laughs> right. But the very right. high prices, say $35 CPMs, that's what it was in 96, right? That's what yeah, it was yeah. when real publishers had real human audiences and they needed to monetize it, right? Yeah. All of this low-cost crap is crap, right? And, and a lot of the marketers got addicted to this. So it will be like physical withdrawal pains that they have to go through before we can get to <laughs> this new state where it's actually real digital marketing. So I consider what we're doing right now to be not even real digital marketing because everything, all the quantities are inflated, all the clicks are inflated, you know, so on and so forth. So it's not real. So when we can actually get back to real digital marketing, then I would say that the promise, the original promise of digital marketing will be fulfilled, right? It's not fulfilled right now because everything... Uh, like you can target the right ad to the right person at the right time, all that kind of stuff. Those are all still in theory right now because, you know, we're not even we haven't even touched upon the fake data segments, the fake audiences and all that kind of stuff. We can do that on the next podcast. Yeah, but, sure. you know, like the 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 audience extensions, the lookalike audiences, all that kind of stuff. It's very, very easy for botnets to make themselves look like whatever audience you want to buy. Right. So there's not that many humans at scale that are all about to buy your swing set, for example. Right. right? So that's what I mean by the quantities are going to be so much smaller than they are now. But that's what I mean by real digital marketing. And I, I'm hopeful that in the relatively near future, the true promise of digital marketing will be fulfilled. But yeah. that's going to mean we're going to have to grow, go through some growing pains, significant for some. Well, I, I like the vision. I like the vision. And I, more importantly, like what it's going to do for publishers, which legitimate publishers, yeah. which is, you know, give them, und, you know, their due, if you yeah, will. Yeah, I, I hope it's not too late because I'm seeing too many good publishers literally die off because they I can't know. survive. They can't compete against three cent CPMs. They can't compete right. against three dollar CPMs because they actually right. have writers. They actually have journalists, right? right? So, right. you know, it would be a sad day when legitimate well, it's already a sad day because many publications can't survive. They've already sold out and whatever, whatever. And then they've, you know, turned to other things. And that's really, you know, we see all these ripple effects that are uh, impacting society now in terms of fake news and, you know, stuff that's not actually verified by any journalist or any editor for that matter. Right. And so right. anybody can put content up online and it's getting harder and harder for humans to even tell the difference between what's real news and what's not. And right. so it would be a very sad day when more of these good publishers die and go away. Right. Well, it should be even a great thing for creatives at ad agencies because if you have, you know, you have a shrinking inventory that you now yeah. have to motivate people to, uh, to, to click, you should get better creative, frankly. Yeah, you, can, you need better creative and you're going to get better real business outcomes. Because then right. you're not competing against the botnets that will give you give the uh, the fake sites thirty percent click through rates. Right. right. So the exactly. problem was that when you have a real ad, you're going to be getting your 0.1 percent click through rates, but the bad guys will basically instruct their botnets to make it look like it's thirty percent click through rates. And where do you think marketers will allocate more dollars? 
right? If right. they actually think, oh, I'm getting so much more engagement over here from a fake site, I'm going to shift budget over here because I'm getting more clicks, right? Okay. So that mentality, to, like thinking these fake quantity metrics imply you know, business outcomes or imply engagement or whatever, whatever, that's what's leading more marketers to accidentally, right? Accidentally mm-hmm. shift more budget to the bad guys, not away from them. Right. So do you see how all of these things are just kind of ingrained in daily practice these days? And so right. it really is about breaking the habit, right? And weaning yourself from these drugs uh, of big numbers, big click-through rates, all that kind of stuff so that we can actually get back to real digital marketing. But that's going to be the hard part, right? Because marketers need to actually step up and do that. Yeah, yeah. They have to have the courage for sure. Yes. Well. Augustine, as always, it's enlightening to have you on and it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for introducing all these topics and glad to be on again. Thanks, Alan. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Marketing Today.